Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders every weeknight at six. I'm Rashawn Leak. This is the Roundtable Tuesday edition of the show. Coming up, we'll lean into the other side village to find out about this master plan neighborhood that provides affordable, permanent quality housing for people coming out of chronic homelessness. Joining me, we have Samuel Grenny, Director of Communications at the Other Side Academy, Turner Bitten, the Chair of the Glendale Community Council, which, by the way, is adjacent to the proposed site, Ty Bellamy, founder of Black Lives for Humanity, a grassroots homeless service provider and advocacy organization. But first, let's get to our legislative update. Joining me is radioactive producer Laura Jones. Hey, Rashawn, I'm excited to hear if Ty's got the camp ready to go for the lawn of the Capitol, by the way. Oh, I was so that's what she said last She time. did. I want to hold her to it because, you know, I mean, I, I appreciate everybody and the powers that be, but they're going to lose it if they see uh, unsheltered folk at the Capitol. But it's I mean, it's the people's house, right? Where else should the people what else should our, our unsheltered people go if they don't have a house? But the Capitol building, right? Well, she said she was ready to do it. We'll see what she's feeling when we get to our panel on the other side village. And uh, folks, we're going to do a legislative update with grassroots activists and organizations in our community next. Uh, if you go to the Go Vote page of krcl.org, I've got all these uh, legislative trackers for different organizations and their areas of emphasis, which makes it really easy to to track what's going on. But even more so, our next group of guests, Rashawn. So let's dive in, shall we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've forgotten what day of the legislature it is. I think it might be day eight, but they count funny. So (laughs) I was trying to make it match up last night. I'm like, somebody's off a day. But anyway, uh, the League of Women Voters of Utah have long been our partners here on the show to keep track of the people's business. And joining us, we have Catherine Weller, president and Deborah Case, co-director of the League's Legislative Action Committee. Hello to the League. Welcome. Welcome. Hello. Glad to have everybody. And Catherine Weller, hello, how are you? Oh, I am doing fantastic. Laura, how are you and Rashawn today? And Rashawn, it's week two, day seven or eight of the legislative session, and I'm already losing my mind. I'm sure you are. <laughs> it's, there's a lot going on, Laura. It's, it's a lot. Day, what, day eight now? And so I'm... <sighs> Showing the true colors about local control, but I digress. Let's focus on what the the league wants to talk about, and that's base budget and appropriations, how and where we're spending the money, Catherine. Yes, indeed. Uh, Most of the hearings, with some notable exceptions that you've just made, um, last week and this week are appropriation subcommittee meetings because one of the big things they have to do is set up the budget for the next year and i want to follow the money because this is a great time to do it and there are some great tools to do it so just some background for all y'all this year the state is again awash in revenue we are it is rare that we're not, right? McDuff, McScrooge, McDuff. I want to swim in Well, the money. <laughs> evidently, some of us will swim in the money. Um, what we're looking at is approximately a billion dollars in one-time revenue this year and approximately $290 million in ongoing funding. So that's, that's a big bucket of cash right there. Um, as reported in the Salt Lake Tribune this morning, um, the ledge does have some ideas on how they're going to be spending. And... Yay, um, $125 million approximately will be going for a cost of living um, increase for state employees. Um, additionally, another $20 million will go for law enforcement compensation. 
Aside from that, they have made very clear that their priorities are tax cuts, most notably an income tax cut. And I, I, as we think about that, I want everybody to be really clear that Utah has a regressive income tax, which means an income tax cut will primarily benefit those who have more money. Ah. Let's just put that on the table. That's one of the reasons why regressive tax systems are bad. Um, if we do get any kind of refunds or um, tax cuts, the tax cut will also have a regressive effect. It'll cost those. It'll cost more for those who make less. All right. So, so here's the thing, Laura. In one, in one instance, they're like, hey, we, we recognize their inflation. We recognize that our employees are struggling. So we're going to secure more money for them. And then in the next, not even next breath, in the same breath, <laughs> we're going to say that we need to affect taxes for our, our most vulnerable population. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any yeah. sense, Catherine, but go on. Yeah, and the tax cut will go across the board. Those of lower incomes will get a, a cut in their taxes, too. It just won't be as visible to them, especially since they pay a higher amount of their income it just goes away but they're where they're dickering over whether or not to completely eliminate the sales tax of on food. food which would help those people the most yes and that's where i want to go with this because as we know from the governor's uh state of the state speech last week he proposed a food tax credit and there are members of the legislature who also would like to see a tax credit for the sales tax on food um we do not believe, the League does not believe this is an appropriate measure to assist those who are having a hard time paying their bills. And it is because a lot of the poorest among us, those with the least wealth, don't file income taxes. They won't see the income tax credit on food. Um, additionally, a lot of people won't know it's there. They don't use paid tax preparers. They won't know to how to qualify and file for that tax credit. So you have to spend a lot of money educating people, which they could just spend on eliminating the sales tax on food altogether. Yep. They could just eliminate the sales tax on food. So here's the thing. There is a bill right now. Um, it's HP 165 from Representative Lesser to eliminate the sales tax on food. That bill is probably not going to go anywhere this year. I, I will be surprised if it gets out of rules. Right now, there isn't a floor sponsor from the Senate or a sponsor from the Senate. It's only Representative Lesser's bill, and that's not that's not a good sign. But, but, and this is the important but for all of you citizen activists out there, sometimes it takes two, three, four years to pass a good bill, to get a good proposal through the legislature. And the way it happens is citizens make it clear that it's important to them to see this action happen. So it is important right now, even though this bill won't get out of rules, that citizens contact their legislators, especially their Republican legislators or their Democratic legislators who haven't said they support removing the sales tax on food, contact them now, tell them you support that action because it lays the groundwork for addressing the action in upcoming sessions. Yes, and this brings us to Deborah Case, co-director of the League's Legislative Action Committee. One of the things you want to emphasize to people is how to write a good email with subject line that your lawmaker will 
click on. Definitely, definitely. I mean, you've got to realize that these, these legislators, they get so many emails and their time is precious. And if it doesn't have a good subject line, it's possible that somebody may look at it once and never again, or maybe never even look at it at all. Okay, so help us write this email that I'm going to send, uh, maybe during our conversation, Rashawn, right? I, yeah, Laura, I'm, I'm back in my undergrad days. I'm like, how to write a capturing title for that paper, get people to read it. So I got to look up my lawmaker, and then I got a title or put a subject line there. What should I put in this for this one? Pass repeal the damn sales tax on food can i swear in it or does that turn them off <laughs> well it's close close i mean you don't want to, you don't want to be mean i mean these are people so uh, you want to think about that but when you're writing your representative the subject line is key so one of the things you want to do is you want to help them help you okay so what you want to do is you want to put in the subject line something that's very informative now, it really does help if you are actually a constituent of theirs. Mm. They're more likely to pay attention to their, their homegrown own than they are to other people. So if you're talking to your own, make sure you put in something like constituent and you put in that subject line, like you said, of what it's about. OK, so this is about the food tax. So you want to say constituent, no on food tax, you know, yes on this. So it's very plain and simple so that they mm -hmm. know what the subject is before they even open it. I can see my subject line now, constituent request dash repeal sales tax on food now. Perfect. That okay. is absolutely perfect. So then when you when they open it up, a simple introduction, but then the big thing is your first sentence. You want to keep it a single, simple, one sentence line. Okay. Very clean and tell them what you want to do. So you're reiterating what you said in that subject line. Hey, we want you to do this you know, repeal the tax. So then give them a little bit of background why you think this is important. Now, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. These, these are educated people. They know about these topics. So you don't need to go into anything elaborate. Just hit the key points of what they should be aware of. Then once again, reiterate what you want them to do, okay? Say thank you afterwards. Do I need to close with my address so they know I'm a constituent? Um, it's optional, but it's highly suggested. A lot of people like to do that because it really does prove that you're not just saying you're the, a constituent. You're saying, hey, I am one of your constituents. And if you want to know who I am, this is who I am right here. Okay. And you can respond back to me. I am, you know, I am basically qualifying myself. So I think it's, it's important. It's not necessary. You don't have to do it. But if you feel comfortable doing it, it definitely makes it a lot stronger. And then when you're talking about, you know, sending out an, an email, when you want to say something, I know we feel so passionate, but we want to remember that these representatives, people are people. And you know what? You get more flies with honey. So if you attack somebody, that's not, I mean, usually what are you going to do? You're going to kind of push it away. So be, be human, you know, and talk to them and tell them what you want. You're trying to have communication with them. Relevant, concise, and to the point, Laura. That's what I'm hearing. It sounds like you're pulling out of your, your school days. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am. Okay, so the league meets Thursdays on the Hill and online. What room is that and what time again, Deborah? Now, that starts on Thursdays at 1230, and that is live in room 105 in the Capitol building. That's on the first floor. And we're also doing hybrid meetings, so we are um, available on Zoom. So this next coming Thursday, we are excited right at 1230. We have Representative King is going to be speaking with us. And we are also we are so excited. He's also referred to as Speaker 
Brian King because he is the minority speaker. So, <laughs> I mean, I know I love, to, I love the way he speaks, but apparently so does his party. So we're very lucky to have him. When, when you hear him, he, uh, I, I get the feeling that he's talking to you, not at you, or just giving you rote information. So it, it's mm. very communicative. Um, that, that's huge. Uh, mm -hmm. Unlike uh, uh, Congressman Burgess, <laughs> who's not even going to meet with the Republican, I mean, the Democratic caucus, according to reporting in the Tribune today, because he doesn't do that. Anyway, I digress. I'm throwing stones in my glass. <laughs> I don't know if that's a... That's not a digress, though. Like, what is going on? Because it's it's a trend that's happening across the country, Laura. And what world does it make sense that we don't have both sides of the aisle come together so we can each hear, so all of us can hear from them at the same time and and un, unscripted. That's what I want. I want from I want to hear what you really think, not something you're reading off a teleprompter. But that's but now we're really digressing. Well, to close with the league, because we've got some folks to talk about gun violence, gun safety prevention. Uh, how can folks get uh, looped in on those meetings, either in person at the Capitol or through your Zoom meetings? What's the website and all of that, Deborah? Well, for, for the League of Women's Voters, what you want to do is quite simply go to the League of Women's Voters of Utah website. That's key of Utah. There are other ones, so just go there. And over in the, um, up in the corner, you're going to see a button that says calendar. Simply go down to the calendar, choose the day, which is Thursday, and there's a link right there to join our Zoom. So starting on 1230, you can do that. Now, with the legislature, they're making it really easy as well. So everybody's up, upgrading to the hybrid version, making themselves more COVID and work at home friendly. So it's just, it's amazing. It's giving us a lot more flexibility. One of the things that's really great about that is that you can go to the le.utah.gov website, choose their meeting that you wanna attend off of their calendar. And there's usually, if it's ongoing, if it's going on right then or has been previously recorded, you can click on the little arrow right then and there and you're either going into it live or you can watch what was already recorded. And the wonderful aspect about that is that you can choose, you have more flexibility, I should say, and you can mm -hmm. go and watch it at your leisure. And for some of us, even once we go ahead and we watch it live, we want to go ahead and look at it and review it and, and be able to pause and hit the rewind button a few times. No excuses, listeners. The future is now. <laughs> Thank you, Deborah And Catherine, I just want to go back to you to close because I was looking at uh, an email from the League of Women Voters of Utah and the study that you all released in December on our elections and election integrity is also available on the website. And uh, for all the shenanigans and rhetoric about we've got a crackdown, Utah's already done it, right? We have, we're, we're considered one of the gold standards, Utah, for election securities. We have those procedures in place. This study was written with the input from the county clerks. We know, we surveyed them to see what they were doing. And you can see the results of that and uh, the discussions about it on our study on the website, lwvutah.org. Catherine Weller, Deborah Case, thank you so much. Thank you so much, you too. Thank you. Rashawn, I don't know if you saw, you know, after the voting rights in, in back in D.C. went down in flames last week, uh, was it Senator Amy Klobuchar? She called out Utah as a shining example in a red state for um, election reforms and integrity. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, the rest of our legislative session, Rashawn. Right. They, they don't just give out gold standard, Laura. You got to earn that, right? You gotta earn that what... <laughs> it depends on who's, you know, 
the gold standard, whether it's paperbacked or not. Yeah, absolutely. I digress again. So let's talk gun safety, some bills making their way around the people's house. And so joining us now, we have Nancy Halden from the Gun Violence Prevention Center of Utah and Greg Scordis, a criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor who represents several police groups, including the Utah Highway Patrol Association and the Fraternal Order of Police. He also represents crime victims as a victim advocate. Thank you so much for joining us, Nancy and Greg. Welcome. Glad to be here. Welcome to the show. Good. Good to have you, you two. All right. So first bill I want to look at, HB 83, optional criminal criminal history background check by a federal firearms licensee before the transfer of a firearm between private parties. All right. The word I have to jump out on is optional. Like, I mean, all right. So, Greg, just to give you background, my dad is a retired detective. I come from a, a law enforcement background. Friends, family are still current officers. Optional? Yeah. So, so in Utah, Rashawn, you can two two parties can sell a gun as between themselves without anything. You can list. And in fact, we used to have sites in Utah where you could just mm-hmm. list your AK forty seven, and somebody could come to your house and give you cash, and they could buy it. No paper, no trail, no nothing. And that is the law in Utah. You can still do that in Utah. If you purchase a gun from a um, from a gun dealer, of course you have to go through a criminal background check. And the problem that we had in Utah and that we have in Utah are these gun shows. So are they are they gun dealers or are they private individuals? And I think some people have felt like, wow, we can't just have people selling guns. Although this is Utah, where uh, we're, we're wild, wild west. We're the wild, wild west. You're exactly right. And so any restriction on guns is going to is going to be a real problem. But but this is an interesting bill, uh, House Bill 83, the optional background checks. And I haven't answered your question yet, but I will. What it allows is that if two people are purchasing a gun and neither one's a dealer, and they agree that there should be a background check, and there are a lot of reasons why both a buyer and a seller would want a background check, that they could go to a federal firearms licensee, we call them an FFL, and get that license so that both of them have that level of protection, if you will. They can't do that now? They can't agree among themselves? I mean, what does this bill do that can't already be done? Nancy, you can? Yes, you can do that now. In fact, um, there's a a site, uh, the federal uh, site about doing private sales and getting a background check. I'll put that in the chat, but they actually have a pamphlet on how you can do that. And we'll put it in the show notes, but... I just don't understand why the bill's necessary then, Rashawn. And I would also ask, if I'm a private seller, why would I go through the trouble? Because it sounds like it's one, I'm, I'm incorporating one extra expense unless I'm missing the missing that. Does it cost more money to do it this way? Or is it, right? You have to pay. You have to pay for your background checks. So yeah, it, it's not a huge fee. I think it's about $7.50. So you yeah. would like people to do this anyway, I'm guessing, Nancy, but I just don't... Mm-hmm. There are reasons, Rashawn, why a person would want to go through a, and get a license. For example, if you're a buyer, you want to make sure yep. you're not purchasing a stolen gun. So you would want to go through the process that way. And if you're a seller right. and your gun ends up being used in some crime down the road, it would be helpful to have a trail to show that paper you're not trail for protection that gun anymore. Right. So there are reasons for it, but but um and I, I assume you're going to talk about HB 133, which I think the reason we have HB 83 is is a compromise, the Republicans to make sure that the Democrats don't get their bill passed, which is 
House Bill 133. And it's sad, but that's that's where we are. What is House Bill 133? You know we're going there. Right. So that's the Brian King bill. And I think it was uh, Deborah in the prior interview talked about Brian, the the spokesperson, the uh, speaker for the Democrats. He's he's proposed a bill that requires background checks in these situations. In other words, people can't just sell guns as between themselves and that a background check would be required. and, and I think that Nancy probably would support that. And I think most, most of us would support that. But but the, this is Utah. The Dems aren't going to get their bill passed. I'm sorry, Brian. I love you. It, it ain't happening. The Republican bill will almost certainly pass. And it's, it, it's I was going to say bulletproof, but that's probably bad choice of words. <laughs> so HB 83, you're saying is a Republican bill, HB 133, the Democrat bill. But HB 83 is just, this is the status quo. It doesn't mean anything, Nancy. That's right. It's um, and, you know, our point is we elect lawmakers to make laws, not suggestions. Mm -hmm. This is a suggestion. That's all it is. They're suggesting you you go and get a a background check that does nothing. Um, There are a huge number of gun sales in Utah. I mean, we have the Utah Gun Exchange that go through without a background check. We absolutely need to close those loopholes. Gun owners want this law. Gun owners in Utah want this law. Why can't, you know, why can't we get this passed? And, and that's the that's really the question. And this is for this is for both of you. What if if I'm a private seller of a of a gun, why wouldn't I want to go through this where it gives me an added layer of protection just in case somebody decides that, you know, I don't really know who I'm selling this firearm to. You know, I met them on Utah Gun Exchange to your point, or maybe even on an ad in KSL or Facebook marketplaces. This feels like it gives me a little more protection just in case this person, you know, what do they always say? You know, a, a good guy with a gun or a bad guy with a gun. So maybe this individual buying it is a nefarious person. And I don't know him because I, you know, we had a 15 minute exchange and now he has my old firearm. But, but Rashawn, think about this. Okay. And, and Nancy may know the stats for this, but most of the guns that are owned by Utahns right now are not registered by anyone. So if you're a seller of a gun, no one knows you have it. So you can sell it to anybody you want. I, I understand you would like to have that level of protection, but what if no one knew you had it in the first place because mm. you've never registered it? You've never purchased it through a, a legal, uh, through an FFL. I shouldn't say legal, but- I know what you mean. I mean. So, I mean, we have people that inherit guns, that buy guns off the street, that trade guns for whatever, and there's no paper trail on those. I would say probably, I don't know, Nancy, correct me if I'm wrong, but 70, 80% of the guns held by Utahns, nobody knows about. Yeah. I mean, the only way that, right, the only way they can um, count the number of guns sold and they can't, they can't even keep this paperwork is when a background check happens. And then they can, they, you know, that gives them the stats for how many guns are sold uh, through FFLs in Utah. Um, but they cannot keep that. They can't keep any kind of record of who owns those guns. Well, to close, Stoddard and Stenquist are also each proposing bills this year to strengthen the prohibited persons law from last session, I understand, Nancy. That's right. So what will um, this do? Well, I, I, so last year, uh, this bill came up and, you know, we, they are trying to strengthen relinquishment bills. When someone is uh, declared by a court of law a prohibited person, they're not supposed to have a gun, they're trying to strengthen that 
uh, security around, they really won't have a gun. <laughs> and our laws are not very durable around that. And so this is an attempt, they attempted last year, it got watered down. They're trying to, to, to strengthen it again. Look, uh, gun violence is on the rise in Utah and homicides are on the rise in Utah. And we should all be very concerned about that. And this is one way where uh, we can strengthen the law and have an impact. You know, and it might sort of fly in the face of the laws we were just talking about. You, you make a very good point, Nancy, that that maybe we, uh, you know, buying and selling should be easier. But Utah has some pretty strict laws on who can possess a law, uh, possess a gun rather, and who is restricted. For example, if you're convicted of a felon, uh, a felony, uh, we know that you can't possess a firearm. If you have a conviction for a, a crime involving domestic violence, even if it's a misdemeanor, uh, you can't possess a firearm. If you're under indictment for uh, certain crimes, even if you haven't been convicted, uh, you can't possess. Um, if you have drugs in your house, uh, you have drugs, if you're possessing drugs and a gun at the same time, you're a restricted person. And I think that Nancy makes a good point. We're, we're trying to sort of button that up, make it a little more easy to understand so that people know when they can and can't possess a firearm. So I, I guess in closing, I, my, I guess my statement really is, are we, are we really asking and relying upon the individuals who are already breaking some form of law to hold themselves accountable to say, oh, well, I can't break two laws. Yes, that's exactly. And in other states, when that person, you know, when when that, you know, person is is declared a felon, they take the gun from them. They have to show up at the in front of the judge with their guns and turn them over. That's the most durable law. This is somebody who's already broken the law. You can't mm -hmm. just rely on their word. I'm sorry, you can't. Well, Nancy, how can folks get involved in this issue with the Gun Violence Prevention Center of Utah? So our website is gvpc.org. You can go on there and sign up and we will send you emails and, um, and we're tracking these bills. We're asking people to speak out, especially to get HB 133, the, the durable universal background check bill out of rules committee. Uh, your voice does make a difference. And Greg Scordis, how can people catch up with you? Well, I mean, I'm around. I'm just an attorney. I'm just an old geezer, but uh, I'm happy to, to consult, to give people uh, advice. And I do that gratis anytime. And I'm easy to find. Hey, Greg and Nancy, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you for having us. You bet. Thanks a lot. And Rashawn, that is our legislative update for Roundtable Tuesday. How you feeling here on week two, day seven, eight or nine? Uh, you know, I, I whether it, it's not about whether I agree or not. I just love the conversations. You know, I mean, what did I say? There's there's a price to pay living in the wild, wild west, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have to go back to leaving our guns at the edge of town, right? Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah. Leave them at the front of the saloon. I'm Rashawn Leak. And when we come back, we'll be talking with folks about the other side village here on another Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive on KRCL. Utah has more than 10,000 nonprofits like Women of the World, which needs practical English volunteers and mentors. You can help forcibly displaced women make Salt Lake City their home and build community through self-reliance and trust. Details at womenofworld.org. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. KRCL, your community connection since 1979. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now!, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 1030, 
Super Sounds with Chovy at one o'clock. All of our programming in the radioactive archives may be found online at krcl.org. And now we're going to the other side village to find out this master plan neighborhood that provides affordable, permanent quality housing for people coming out of chronic homelessness. Joining me, we have Samuel Grenny, Director of Communications at the Other Side Academy, a two-year self-sustaining residential life skills and vocational training program for women and men in long-term criminal behavior, drug addiction, and homelessness. Students pay nothing to attend. They're the ones tackling this new village concept we're talking about tonight. Turner Bitten, the chair of the Glendale Community Council, which, by the way, is adjacent to the proposed site, and I'm sure he's got some things to say about how the Tosa Village will operate in the community. We have Ty Bellamy, founder of Black Lives for Humanity, a grassroots homeless service provider and advocacy organization. And when we last talked to Ty, she was talking about maybe setting up shop for our unsheltered folks on the lawn of the Capitol. So we'll see how that's going. And representing the business community, we have David Ibarra. How's it going, everybody? Going great. Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. All right. So let's start this conversation with Sam Grinney. So, Sam, that's a it's a big undertaking you got going on. So where are we in the process with the city? Yeah, it's a huge undertaking. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we're longtime friends of Radioactive, and it's just great to be back here. Um, so to clarify real quick with the names, it can get a little bit confusing. The Other Side Academy is specific to our uh, 2015 is when it founded downtown. The the re-education program kind of. Uh, the other side village is specific to the new development. I'm director of communications for the village specifically. Okay, perfect. Uh, Thank you. Absolutely. So yeah, in terms of process, we are uh, right on on the cusp, hopefully, of being able to look at breaking ground. So we made it through uh, most of the city processes last year. We've done a pretty, pretty large amount of outreach and advocacy with the community. And right now we're actually just waiting for the city council to add us to the docket to give us an up or down vote on both our rezoning amendment and our public benefit analysis. So if we get that up vote, which we're really hopeful about, uh, that would give us the opportunity to start breaking ground maybe as early as late spring, midsummer. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So that's coming. That's coming really fast. So so who gets to live there and what does securing the housing look like from a process standpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the, the best way to kind of break down the village is just to start with our mission statement. Uh, what we have is uh, the village's goal is to create a self-reliant peer-led village that provides a safe, dignified and uplifting life for the chronically unsheltered and which brings them and the larger community into mutually ennobling relationships. So a lot of big words, nice jargon in there, but if we take it one piece at a time, self-reliant means that it will be operationally self-sufficient. We'll operate social enterprises out of the village just like we do at the academy that will make it so that day-to-day -day operational costs don't have to come through fundraising. It'll pay for itself once we have construction up. Uh, Peer-led, meaning that residents who live there are not patients. Uh, they are empowered to take control of their neighborhoods, to decide their own standards, and to hold each other accountable. It is a peer-led community. Um, and then the chronically unsheltered part, that's the population that we're serving. So there's a diverse amount of needs on the streets, diverse, uh, diverse communities out there. Our village is designed specifically for the chronically unsheltered, those who've been on the streets for more than a year or a total of a year over the last three, three years. And then that last piece is really one of the most important to us, bringing the village into 
uh, mutually ennobling relationships with the larger community. So a lot of people ask us, okay, you're going to, this is a place to just get them out of the way and off the streets. It couldn't be farther from the case. Uh, the goal here is to create a village that is a centerpiece of Salt Lake City. That is a place that everyone wants to go, both for events and activities, and also for the kind of products that we're going to create. So we believe that, that that's what lies at the very heart of the possible success of the village is the relationship that's formed between Salt Lake City and the village itself. Wow, that's that's great to hear. So Turner, I want to I want to bring you into the conversation since the proposed housing development is going to be adjacent to the community council. So so what are your hopes out of this? What are you know, since this is going to be they're going to be neighbors, you're going to be neighbors with the facility. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's important for folks to understand how this fits within the, the broader landscape in Salt Lake City. So when I think of the West Side and Glendale specifically, I think of it as kind of a gateway to welcoming. When you look at our neighborhoods, uh, they're often the most affordable in the city. You've had generations of people who've called the West Side home. And when people visit Salt Lake City and the state of Utah from out of state, they come through the West Side as they enter Salt Lake City. And the thing that I am so excited about with the other side village is that this is a, first and foremost, it's a planned community and the, with a mission to serve homeless folks. And I think it's really, really important when we talk about this to not talk about it like a homeless shelter. This is not a homeless shelter. This is a safe space that's set aside. It does have requirements. You know, folks have to apply. They have to be accepted. They have to agree to accountability. This is not a temporary measure. This is about creating a permanent space for new residents of our neighborhood. And I think it's very important when we talk about it to think about that because what we know about unsheltered folks is that when they receive uh, permanent supportive housing, you know, upwards of 90 to 95% of people have a successful experience when housing is provided and there are those ongoing supports. So I think that's important to note is that this is an investment in the community. This is not a burden coming into the community meant to be temporary. And I think it's very important from the beginning to separate that out. The, the, the second thing, as I mentioned this earlier, but it's a planned development with a mission. So it's, it's a development that's coming in with the goal of being self-sufficient and an important heart within the community. So those uh, commercial development opportunities, the opportunity to have a grocery store and a doctor's office and gathering spaces for the community mean that this is going to be an important part of the community, not something that's separate and distinct from the community. Uh, and, and then the last thing I think is that this fits this brings us a new opportunity to reconsider what services look like in Salt Lake City. And this is an ambitious project. It's certainly not going to be a project without bumps along the way. But the most important thing is that this is designed to be a permanent supportive space for people who are currently living on the streets. They're going to be my new neighbors. They're going to be part of my community, not something separate and distinct. And when I think of the West Side and I think of Glendale, that kind of welcoming and acceptance is who we are in our DNA. I, I, yeah, that is a great, great way to look at it. And I think to use uh, a term you already you already put out there, this could be a gateway for similar projects to take to take ownership or take start taking off on other parts of the state. And I and I love that. All right, let me turn the conversation to Ty, who, in my opinion, is our resident voice of the unsheltered community. Ty, I mean, 
me being an outsider looking in, when I hear a plan to get some of our unsheltered folks uh, some form of housing, I'm excited. I, it feels good. What are your thoughts on this? I'm sure you're, you're very aware. I'm excited, too. Yeah. Oh, listen, I'm on this and I'm very excited, too. And I'm always trying to just remind them that there's a brighter day coming, you know, um, and this might not be a, an end, but this is a very positive start in the right direction. I'm so proud of the other side village for being willing to step up and take up this undertaking. Um, God gives his biggest battles to his strongest soldiers. Um, and these guys have stepped up. Um, and I've been saying, you know, we, we hear elected officials say that, you know, they've done a lot for, for this vulnerable community and they're not going to do anything else until other people step up in this county, until, the, you know, the rest of the state steps up. And I've been saying sometimes you have to be the first one to make the first move. Sometimes you have to eat alone until other people get hungry enough to join you at the table. You can't starve yourself and then starve everybody else until help comes along because then everybody's falling out. So you've got to do the right thing. And for these guys to be willing to sit at the table alone and slowly but surely wait for people to RSVP, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be more proud and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of this. Um, this is what Utah needs. Utah needs to get with the times. They've got to wake up. We can't stay back, um, you know, in, in, in decade. We can't keep doing the same thing. It's not working. We have to reinvent the wheel. We've got to get out of the fear of, of people don't like change here and you've got to accept change you've got to roll with change the pandemic has showed us that we can't continue to live the way we've been living so we've got to, the hardest thing i think about this project is getting people to come out of their mindset once you're rooted in something you refuse to accept something else and that's been the biggest hurdle but we're not going to give up mm -mm. and we're winning <laughs> that's right or what what i say it takes a community or in this in this particular instance a village if you will yeah i always say yeah absolutely Takes a village to build a village. We're here. That's right. There we go. So, David, I want to I want to bring you into the conversation because I know you've been uh, outspoken about the political handling of our unsheltered friends and their needs. So what's your read? What's your read on, on where we are and how the village might be the answer? What's your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, start out by just, uh, boy, I couldn't have said it better than what was just said. You know, the idea of, 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 of pointing fingers and yeah, but all the reasons something's not going to work, whatever you think you're going to get. And I have looked for the last two years and beyond and seen that folks want to educate us as to why not to try to move our expectations lower to meet their deliverables. And we can't accept that. We're Utah has been a compassionate community. I was born here, raised here. I was raised in the Utah foster care system. It wasn't easy, but folks stepped up to help. And now when we see a vulnerable population crying out to have need help, we have folks that want to share statistics. We're getting better. No, we're not. Tell it to that person. You know, I was just last night, I was, I was sitting, I was working late, nine o'clock, and, and about nine o'clock in front of my office, you hear just screams, screaming, people screaming in the street. When I was a young boy, somebody would have immediately called 911 and shared somebody was in trouble. And we as a community would have went out, what in the world's wrong? Not to want to arrest them, to want to help them. And now we hear that's just part of a metro. 
No, it's not part of a metro. We need creative thinkers, and we haven't had that. We want to go back to the plan. We don't execute. We want to go back to the plan. And I just love the other side academy. Whenever I get down, whenever I get low, I go over to the other side academy and have dinner with some folks that are really, truly doing things to turn their lives around, taking responsibility, having the desire to make a difference. So I thought last year at Christmas, what can we do? Uh, I know what I could do. I could write a $50,000 check and take it to them. And then one of my uh, uh, business um, uh, clients said, you're going to do what? And I said, yeah, you heard me on the phone talking to Joseph Granny. And I said, hey, I want to do something. I, I, I want to bring you uh, 50,000. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. We're bringing you 100,000. My friend wants to bring 52. So when I heard of the Other Side uh, Academy, I am so sick and tired of people just talking and sounding eloquent when people are suffering. Yes. Bad mm. enough. Not mm. enough. So when Joseph talked to me about the other side of uh, Academy this year for Christmas, I wrote a $65,000 check to buy one unit fully furnished. And that same friend heard me talking. He said, put me down too. So we delivered two checks for $65,000. If you can do something, do it. And enough talk. If you can do something, do it. And I'm critical of this administration. There's no doubt about it. All right. Okay. You led me, you led me into my next question then. You led me into my next question. So you ultimately supported or endorsed Mayor Mendenhall after your own mayoral run. Yeah, I did. Yep. Do you still support her policies on this issue? And who else politically needs to come to the table? Because you got your friends. Let me tell you this. Get it. No, I do not support Erin Mendenhall today. I supported her for one reason. I interviewed her. She agreed to sit down and listen to the experts that have gone to other communities to solve the shelter-resistant population. The shelter-resistant are going through hell, and we need to help in a compassionate way. And she agreed. She came. She sat for four hours and then didn't do one thing. Mm. Now, let me share this. I will be the first that if she gets creative and takes some action and listen to our two new West Side Council folks who do have creativity, I, this leadership is going to come from the West Side. Mm-hmm. This leadership is going to come from the West Side. I like Marin, Aaron Mendenhall. And I'll be the first that if she'll turn around and really stop pointing fingers and just like you said, take the first step, invite a conversation to come up with a creative way instead of saying, it's not us, we don't have enough funding. I will champion her. I want her to be the next mayor because we can't go two more years in the same position we are. I want uh, uh, a Chief Brown to succeed. I just don't believe in him. And I'll be the first to tell you that I absolutely believe Chief Brown has zero, zero creativity. He's got more funds, more boots on the ground, and he can't lead. Those officers know what to do. They just need leadership. Now, with that, show me some leadership. I will help in any way I can, and I'll be the champion because I want Chief Brown to succeed. I want Mayor, Mayor Mendenhall to succeed. But right now, they don't have an ounce of leadership or creativity between the two. Wow. And, and that's, that's pretty stark. That's, that's uh, those are strong language, words. But I, I believe it. And I will church. do everything I can. Go, go, go. 
turn it around because the first thing you can do to win simply say the problem exists simply say don't refer to our shelter resistant or folks that are home don't call them one more time my friend because if that's the way you treat a friend i don't want your friendship Right, Sam. I wanna I wanna bring you in. So for our listeners, you can't see Sam's screen or what he's got, but he's got a picture of the village behind him in his in his Zoom background. So when it's all said and done, Sam, how many how many units are we trying to get? Well, how big is the parcel of land that you're looking for, and how many units are we hoping to put on it? Yeah. So there will be a phase development, but the total total parcel that we're looking at is just over 30 acres, and we will north of 400 residents. Our hope is around 430, but but over 400 is where it'll scale to. And then if you see behind me too, what you're seeing is the pod view. So while we're talking about a larger community, very intentionally built into smaller pockets that allow for those developments of relationships in you know much smaller groupings that human beings succeed in more. So each of those, our first phase will be 60 homes. That's two of these pods of about 30 homes that are all facing each other with a beautiful courtyard in the middle, a nice place that the residents can meet together to, to do, you know, we'll have some conflict resolution techniques that we're working with to, to really empower neighbors to deal with interpersonal problems. And that's really, uh, you know, the, the real village is happening in those 30 home neighborhoods. The, the scale will be there and we want to scale up, but what where the magic of the village happens is in those smaller pockets where neighbors are helping neighbors. Go ahead. And for our listeners, what what can they do to help the other side village as we as you go through the city approval process? Where can they get info to act upon? Absolutely. So the other side village.com first place to go. We have a newsletter. We'd love to have you sign up for it where we can keep you informed as volunteer opportunities open up more down the line. We'll be letting people know about those as well. You can submit your email right now. We're probably a month or two out from, you know, really ramping up the volunteership, but where we really need uh, listeners help are two places. One, your city councilor. If you live in this, if, if you live in the city of Salt Lake, please reach out and just say you're supportive of this project too. And you want to see a yes vote. The second is uh, we have a pretty wonderful opportunity coming up with the state legislature where uh, Governor Cox has actually asked for $20 million for the village in his budget request. And so over the next five weeks as as the session unwinds, uh, we'll be seeing how that plays out. And we could really use every single representative support too. So if you don't live in the city, or even if you do, uh, please also contact your state representative and your state senator and let them know that you support both both our budget, but also the affordable housing budget as a whole. Uh, We're looking at possibly a historic investment in affordable housing this session. And the village is a nice part of the solution, but it's only one part. What we need is for this legislature to take so seriously the breakdown that's happening with our housing supply. So please reach out to your, rep, your elected representatives and tell them to support support the appropriation and to support our city council vote. Turner, how, I mean, we, we're hearing that ultimately when we're fully scaled, we're talking about 400 residents. So for our, Glen, our Glendale neighborhood, how, how do you sell that and, and, and get them to understand that we're talking about a village and not a homeless shelter? We're talking about a place where we're going to have 400 additional community members not just you know people on shelter living on the streets in Glendale. How how do you how do you handle that message to them? I, I don't know that it's as much about selling it as much as building community support. And the, the reason that I say that is because the vast majority of my neighbors support this project. Uh, as I've talked to folks, as I 
uh, engage with my neighbors. That's not to say there's not disagreement or concern. Uh, and I think concerns need to be addressed. But at the end of the day, this is the, a type of project that we haven't seen before, uh, at least for the population that it's designed to serve. Glendale has an intentional community over at Wasatch Commons. So we kind of led the city in the development of this type of intentional community. Again, very different service population, but Glendale has a positive experience with this type of intentional community building. And the other thing that I would say to my neighbors and that I do continue to say is that this is a different model for addressing the issue. We're not saying we're taking a scattershot approach. We're gonna build a shelter that's gonna keep people alive through a cold winter. We're building an opportunity for people to become lifelong residents of Glendale and Poplar Grove. I think it's important to note that the village is not in Glendale, it's in Poplar Grove, mm. but it sits on Indiana Avenue and the opportunity to bring new transit opportunities and commercial developments. When you have a development like this that brings in 400 residents that is planned in advance, we have the opportunity to leverage that to, to bring other benefits to the community. And the, the last thing that I would say to my neighbors that are concerned is we have the opportunity to ensure that the village is successful. Uh, we have the opportunity as neighbors to be intentional about the way that we welcome these new residents into our community. You know, when someone buys the house across the street from me, I don't think, well, how did they get that house and blah, 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 blah. I think I have a new neighbor across the street. Mm -hmm. And I think at the Absolutely. end of the day, there are very few times when we're called upon to really put our values into practice. And this is one of those projects. I, the, the last note that I would make is the thing that I love about this project is that it can be something in a time like right now when everyone is so divided and fighting over politics, we have the opportunity to do something that unifies neighborhoods, mm -hmm. that unifies activists and people who are on the ground, that brings together the folks that are at syringe exchange, that are at, out doing street outreach, with developers, with business leaders, with political leaders, with the community to do something and to say, this city is going to stand up as the capital city of the state of Utah. We're gonna lead out and we're gonna provide a space for unsheltered people to be part of our community, to be part of our city for the rest of their lives. I wanted to add something if I can. Go ahead, David, come in. You know, I, you know when we get into the politics side of what thing people haven't done, it can really get emotional and negative. And this project allows us, no matter what differences we have, the differences that I have with the administration and what they've done up to now, it don't matter if we can come together on a project that makes sense and this one makes sense. Yes, it does. And as a business person, I'm not just going to quack and not reach into my wallet and say, I'm in. And boy, I know that Mayor Mendenhall is in. And, and I'll tell you what, give credit for that. I know that she's going to do everything she can with the city council to make this go through. That's a first step. Just like uh, uh, was mentioned, let's come together on something that we can agree with, put the things we don't agree with to the side, and then we have a victory, and then we'll have another victory, and then we'll mm -hmm. have another victory. And then all of a sudden, we have Salt Lake City. Small wins. Our capital city. 
back the way it was inviting a place to take your children to visit that whether it's the temple whether it's the financial whether it's shopping whether it's entertainment bars or what have you everyone's got a stake but mostly important let's stop the suffering absolutely ty bring us home what do you want the people to know Look, I just want to piggyback off what these guys are saying. Um, you know, here's the, here's the thing. We really don't have to have this huge conversation with the neighbors. We this is when I built my home a couple of years ago in Harriman, it was in phases, right? It was in subdivisions were being built. And so this is another subdivision that's being built where you're already at. This subdivision is going to boost the economy. Mm-hmm. This is going to help to, to improve your 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 property value. So they're actually doing you a favor um, for the people that are already there. That is a very diverse community. I'm very familiar with Glendale with Fair Park. Very diverse. You've got people from all different cultural backgrounds, different languages, um, you know, different everything. And so that's going to be perfect to put them there. Where, you know, there's, they're not going to have to deal with discrimination at the level that they would somewhere else in the state. Um, you know, ultimately... People have no problem hosting the Olympics, but then when we want to welcome our brothers and sisters to live somewhere, people want to have a whole meltdown and y'all need to knock it off. Right. Because if this was you out here sleeping on the ground in a tent, if this was you in a sleeping bag, if this was you being sexually assaulted, if this was you going hungry, if this was you getting arrested for being on tracks without paying for service because you're just trying to stay warm, if this was you, you wouldn't want to be treated like this. So don't treat other people like this. Um, right before I got on this call, I was talking to a good friend of mine and I said, you know, I have, I have a dog. Um, and if I would have left her outside last night when it was snowing, when it was cold, people would have called the police on me. People would have called the, the Humane Society. I would have been an, ups, an unfit pet parent. I would have been every, called every name in the book. Nobody calls when somebody is buried in the snow out here they take a picture and it goes viral and people go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But what did y'all do about that? That man almost froze to death right outside of a shelter. Yet Michelle Hume will fix her mouth to say that there's more beds in the shelters this year than there were last year. Then why did this man almost die outside of a shelter? You would think that that would expedite um, the, the speed of getting these overflow, these winter overflows open. No, people still moved at a turtle's pace. And so we need to wake up, Utah. If we voted you into office, it's because we believed in you. Don't let us down. Because you have to remember, you have to be reelected to keep your seat. And we're going to remember the promises you broke. We're going to remember the, the, the unsheltered brothers and sisters we lost. We're going to remember all of this pain. And when it comes time for us to check the box next to your name, we might be checking somebody else's. Get it together. All right. So, Ty... Before I let you go, speaking of our uh, constituents or speaking about those are our elected officials, what about camping on Capitol Hill? So, you know, here's the thing. We, we we're still want to do that. But what happens is when the city doesn't want you to do something, they start their bully tactics. And we had a lot of our unsheltered relatives start going to jail. And it was an intimidation thing. And so these guys started getting nervous and they started backing down. Well, we we don't want to do this. I've got a warrant. I've got this. We even had so-called advocates for the unsheltered that would use the fact that they knew that these people had warrants to bully them into doing certain things for them. And if they didn't do it, they would call the police on them, tell the police what campus they were at. We even had somebody go as far as to literally chase somebody on foot and try to tackle them to hold them down while the police drove up 
to arrest somebody. We've had somebody that had their child taken away and they had an RV that they were living in. The, the tent that they had was well heated, um, you know, because there's, there's camping heaters and things. The, the tent was well heated. But you have people out here that are doing some things that are not right. And so they got scared because it's like, we're, we have to look at law enforcement coming after us. We have to look at so-called advocates that are and activists that say they're here. Now they're turning on us and everybody got really nervous and I don't blame them. And here's the thing. I, as much as I speak and I fight for them, they lead me. And if they're not ready for me to, to, to lead them up there and go off, I have to wait until it's in their Absolutely. Time. But ooh, Am I not ready? I've got my shoes, my bags. Let's go. Because people I know you are. People don't understand. And I have people tell me all the time, oh, we didn't know that this is the problem. We we drive downtown and we don't see them anywhere. Because daily they are being pushed by the police department under the mayor's command. Daily they are running from law enforcement to avoid going to jail. Daily they are trying to figure out a way to get further underground to become further invisible until a solution comes about. And this is wrong. We've got to stop the, the, the bully tactics. We literally have people pulling up and recognizing faces and running for warrants. Why are you doing that? You don't pull up in Cottonwood Heights and run your neighbors off of their face. You don't pull up anywhere else and do that. So why are you doing it with people who you know are out here struggling? Stop adding to their stress level. Oh, I could talk to all of you all day about this, but you know, all, all good things must come to an end. So where where can we all find you if if the if people are looking to get involved where can they find you Sam theothersidevillage.com sign up for our newsletter submit your submit your info if you'd like to volunteer and then that's where all of the news is at Turner what about yourself uh, you can find me at glendaleutah.org and the other thing I'd like to say is donate to the other side village if you're listening to this you're inspired by what you hear donate and help make this thing happen Absolutely and David where, where can people find you? Personally, they can find me at davidribarra.com. And uh, like you just said, uh, I'm going to work with business individuals to uh, contribute. And business wants to contribute to somebody who has a plan organized and is going to execute it. They don't want to invest into uh, administrations that uh, uh, don't know what to do with the money they get. But they... The other side, the other side village knows what to do with the money. And I felt wonderful writing y'all a check. Love it. And last but certainly not least, Ty, where can they find you? They can find me at Black Lives for Humanity Movement Group. Um, and David, you can throw some of that money my way because I need hand sanitizer and I need <laughs> sleeping bags to keep them warm out here. So my Venmo is the fighting queen. There's a space after each word and there's a fist <laughs> for the icon. I just, I have to tell him, I really... I, I had a, a conversation with a couple of friends and they were like, Ty, cause you know, I can go off. And they were like, just keep it this and just be kind of, and I'm never soft. I'm not gonna play with you because these are people's lives. So I wanna thank Mr. Ibarra for really saying what my friends asked me to kind of hold back on saying today. Um, people need to be held accountable, period. And if, if civilians, if the private sector can be held accountable for their actions and their words, then demonstrate everybody else that we're electing and we're having faith in and we're putting into office should be held 
accountable. So I want to, I really want to thank him for doing that. Absolutely. Mr. Bitten, I just, I want to thank you for, um, for integrating, for being willing to integrate that subdivision and that community. Um, I, I think it's a beautiful thing that you are, are open to this and that you're doing what you can to just let people know that, you know, we're going to have a family reunion. Brothers and sisters are going to be coming home and we're going to welcome them with open arms and we're going to be there to support them as a community. Um, Sam, you know, I, I absolutely love you. Um, I love your organization. You know, I'm there whenever you need me. Um, and just keep up the good work. You know, you're going to have naysayers, but when people hate on you, that's when you know that you're really doing the right thing. Um, I know I, I have a collection of them, but <laughs> keep your head up, keep going. And thank you so much for just um, for loving our our siblings that live on the street. Once again, Laura and Rashawn, just thank you for allowing us to use this platform to bring awareness, to wake people up and, um, you know, just getting the message out there. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. It was a it was a awesome to be able to spend this afternoon with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. God bless everybody. God bless. And that's our show. Thank you to all of our guests tonight who stepped up to the mic and shared what they're working on to make our community a better place for everybody. Check tonight's show notes for the links to their organizations or causes. Hopefully we've inspired you to get involved. I'm Rashawn Leak. Thanks for listening and take care, y'all.